Hello there, everyone. Hi. Hello, and welcome to Aaron Square, Square Podcast. Podcast. My name is Aaron Cleary. My name is Aaron Pugh. And together we are Aaron Squared. This is a brand new podcast debuting this year, starring two lucky gals who share the same first name. We also share the same passion and love for our beloved pastime, books. We started this podcast as a way to share our love of wonderful works of literature and also engage our community in insightful conversations about their favorite books in hopes to encourage, inspire, and provoke thoughts and feelings about the great works of the page. This month, we have been reading Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari, picked out by our February special guest, Jackson Schombert. We are joined by Jackson here today and are excited to begin our first monthly book discussion. A reminder that the first half of the episode will be spoiler-free and we will be sure to warn you when we're beginning to head into spoiler territory. So without further ado, welcome to episode two. So Jackson, thanks for joining us today. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so one of the first things we wanted to just jump right in is uh who are you and how do we know you my name is jackson schombert i'm an award-winning actor um <laughs> i am currently teaching uh high school theater in blacksburg virginia and i know both of the errands through uh our time at george mason university in the theater department um aaron cleary and i lived together um freshman year and then Aaron P lived right below us, right? And then yes. um, we, I don't even know like when we all became friends exactly, but it just kind of happened. And then next thing you know, like every day we're all hanging out together. It was, it was a great time. It was definitely a uh, mutual friends introduced us to each other. And then we were always around each other. And then we wrote a play together and that really solidified our Solidified bond. Indeed. Yeah. That was a good Spring play. The mix. That was a good one. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's crazy to me that to think that was three years ago, but yeah, wow. we were writing oh, that place three years that's ago. Insane. Yeah, we got to write another one. Yeah, yeah, it's about time. <laughs> the people have been demanding it. Yeah. All right. So, um, the next thing we just wanted to ask you before we jump into this book is what is your personal connection to like books and literature? Me and me and Pew kind of went into this in our last episode, but. What kind of books got you into reading? What was your personal journey with it? And how did you stumble onto uh, this book, Sapiens? Yeah, so um, I I mean, like my entire life, ever since I can remember, I've been reading. My, my mom's an English teacher, um, and she often tells like a story like when I was like one and a half years old, I had already memorized the three little pigs story and i would like just recite it from memory before bed every night like i've always been a reader uh through elementary school middle school uh high school i kind of fell off a little bit um but then thankfully was able to get back on but i've always just loved um especially fiction being able to to um escape into a, a new world of of fiction it's always been just a, a love I've had. Um, and I discovered this book. Um, one of my my friends recommended uh, another book by him. And when I went to the store to get it, I saw that this one uh, was the first one he had written. And I was like, oh, well, I'll get all three of them and buy them in order because he was raving about them, that it's it's such a, a great like book and everything. So 
Um, I just picked all of them up and started reading and was just blown away the second that I started reading it. It's definitely, it's, it's changed my life uh, and how I view like history and, and human civilization and everything. You said you typically read like fiction books. So obviously this is nonfiction. Have you been picking up more nonfiction since you've been reading this or was this sort of just kind of like a dive into nonfiction and then back to what you typically read? Yeah. So this um, was probably like the, the first nonfiction book that I'd read in years. Like I've pretty much just stuck to fiction and um, I, I don't know, something about this book in particular, like grabbed me and I've been reading fiction since um, and, and rereading this one and the other ones that he's written. Just, I, I keep finding myself drawn back to, to these, but um, it's definitely a, a cool uh, topic that I, I want to like read more on and I want to read more nonfiction in general. It's, it's very cool. Very interesting. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners that maybe haven't read the book, don't really know what it is about, and either of you can feel free to jump in on this. How would you like describe it to someone who has no idea what it is and basically like all they have to go on is like the title and the cover? Mm. What would be like your selling pitch to them? Um, I would say that what this book does is it divides human history into three major revolutions. Um, there was the cognitive revolution that took place about 70,000 years ago, the agricultural revolution that was 10,000 years ago, and then the scientific revolution of 500 years ago. And each of these revolutions completely changed human civilization and human history in just unprecedented ways on the collective level. Um, and it, it kind of explores how we got to where we are today as, um, as human beings, as society, as everything like that. It's, um, it really is a, a brief history of humankind, as the cover says. Would you agree with that, too? Yeah, I would. I think something that was sort of exciting and a little bit unexpected for me was like, it's both uh, like kind of a history and a science lesson, but also um, as it's doing that raises a lot of questions that are more on like, I guess the philosophical side. So not only are you sort of being given, it seems like secret pieces of the world that were like unknown to you before, but also being forced to question or not forced, that's the wrong word, but um, being encouraged to question um like humanity's role in the world and how we fit into that individually. And like a lot of things that popped up are, I feel like, like good versus evil, like the inherent nature of humanity sort of um, kind of comes along with the journey of learning about the history, which was unexpected, but also a, a great part of the book. Another thing I just wanted to ask, I don't, this might be obvious, but would you recommend this book to other people and if so like what kind of people would you recommend it to oh absolutely i'd recommend <laughs> it i honestly when you uh reached out to me to be on this podcast i was like oh i immediately knew what book i was gonna pick i was like no doubt i would love for for both of you um to read it and but then also have the ability to discuss it it's such a discussable book i feel um and yeah i would recommend it to Anybody who's a, a, a human being, um, 
it's that's that's the subject matter so it kind of should be taught in elementary school yeah yeah (laughs) i'll read it to to my students what about you cleary would you recommend it to other people i yeah i think i would i think so i read the beginning of it physically then i picked up the audiobook and it's definitely very accessible that was that's like a thing i think it really has going for it is like history but make it accessible to anyone. And what was interesting about that is in the, in like the prologue or like the very beginning of the book, it talks about how it was originally written in Hebrew and then it got translated. So like it has gained a wider audience still. And it's especially like picking up traction the past couple of years since it was published in English in 2014. It's now nearly 10 years later and it's still super in demand. I tried to get it from the library and all of four copies were taken Mm. for like months at a time. So, so it's definitely doing well for itself. And I think it is, it, it, it can attest to how good it is. It feels like you're taking a history lesson and you are like playing back the lectures and like, cause all of the anecdotes and the jokes that the author like weaves in with just like the actual information, it feels very personal and like, connected to the story he's telling so yeah I would recommend it I don't know to like children they maybe once they reach high school but um definitely anyone above who's even interested in like humanity or history in any way would probably enjoy it yeah I agree I was a little nervous picking it up I had been interested in it for a while but I haven't really read any like science or history nonfiction books before. So I was a little worried that it would kind of go over my head, but I think kind of what you were saying, he does such a good job of of making it accessible to such a wide audience Um, because he, you know, he uses definitions and facts and dates, but also uses illustrations and examples and stories. And so he lays things out in a variety of different ways um and makes like even the most complex and like interweaving of subjects seem simple and easy to to understand and then easy to contemplate and form more questions about which I think is really awesome as well it's also really it's also pretty funny that was one thing I thought was funny like just one example is that in the beginning he this isn't a spoiler. He basically calls out the Pope of the Catholic Church for being celibate and is like, there is no reason he should be celibate. Like, there's no no biological. evidence or biological reason for him to do this. It is simply something that humans made up and that we think we need to believe. But like, he, he is the he's like the patriarch of all of Catholicism and yet he doesn't have sex and that doesn't make any sense. And I think it's really funny that like, he took his personal opinion on that, but also just made it a joke and then like backed it up with facts. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, do you, did you like, when you read this book, did you have like an immediate personal connection to it? Was it like, uh, like a specific time that you read it in your personal life that you think like, oh, like this was the best time for me to pick this book up? Or was it sort of just like, you know, a little gemstone that kind of came out of nowhere? Um, yeah, great question. I uh, I first read this book, um, like I think it was like summer of 2020. So middle of quarantine of, you know, having these, um, existential crises and everything and, and having a lot of time to just do nothing and think, um, which I found to be the perfect time. I, um, have a little tree house, uh, in my yard that I would go into and just sit there for hours and read, 
Um, and it was a wonderful environment and I immediately felt a connection. It was, uh, one of the first books that I've read in a while that, um, even when I wasn't reading it, when I had put it down, I was still thinking about it constantly and, and like probably annoying my family talking about it every day. But, um, I just kept like going back to it and thinking about, the the last chapter I had read and just how it completely blew my mind every every time I read it. So yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to to ponder in the book. There were a couple times where like I was like reading it like sitting in my car about to go into work and was like almost brought to tears because I was like, I've been given so much information and I don't know what to do with it. This (laughs) is amazing. Yeah. So Pew and I, this is the first time we've read it, obviously. Jackson, you have history with it. Um, so Pew, I guess, what was your first impression and did your expectation live up to the reality? So like, what was your expectation of this book versus how you feel about it now after consuming it? I would say like far surpassed my expectation of it. Like I expected it to be a good book, but um, I, I just really expected it to be, you know, like laying out facts and just sort of like an interesting lesson on the history of humankind, which it was. Um, And I had heard some really great things about it. So I was definitely excited to pick it up, but it really blew me away with um, just like, I guess the, the other, the other parts of the book that weren't just like laying out of facts, but kind of what we were talking about earlier, all the questions that it brought up questions that I wouldn't have even thought to ask in the first place. Um, And I really liked that it gave me kind of a new perspective on life and on humanity. Um, And I, I felt like there were a lot of themes that came up as far, at least things that I was picking up um, that made me think about like the inherent nature of humans and are we good or are we evil? Are we progressive or destructive? Um, I also felt like there was a really interesting balance of like ego versus humility where he's like, you know, like it's amazing that we're able to do all of these things, but like we're really not that important and we're going to be gone someday. Um, And just I I won't get into too many details because we're not in the spoiler section yet, but there were a lot of uh, really interesting topics that he discusses that again, like were completely unexpected, but very exciting to read about for me. What about you? Yeah. So my, my relationship with this book is, is interesting because Jackson, of course, like recommended it to me like, you know, six months ago when he was like, you gotta read it. And, and at the time I hadn't read like any nonfiction for, for fun or like on purpose at all I have read it now but definitely by just like looking at this book and uh you know picking it up I I bought it from a bookstore and even the cashier was like god this book is heavy and I was like yeah because it's 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 fairly dense and like it it kind of feels like you're reading a textbook I I wouldn't be surprised if like college courses use this as like a text um and so it's very daunting in that sense and so like every time I saw it I was kind of nervous to pick it up <laughs> and like it, 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 it has a, just, it, there's a density to it that is just scary. And so my expectation was kind of similar of like, is this just going to be a textbook of like a timeline of events? And it's not. And I think that's what people would probably judge it as if they just saw it without like having been recommended it or like knowing what it's about. But yeah, it definitely was not like, 
my expectation of it was definitely different than what I thought about it in the end, because now I feel more connected to the author, which is really cool. But also like, I have so many questions. <laughs> like I want to further think about it. And like, I was listening to the audiobook, which was great because it was like getting to hear it versus read it is just a different experience entirely. And so that was really interesting. And I can definitely see myself like going back to it, re-listening to the audiobook. Um, yeah, so I definitely was surprised by it and think it opens my eyes to like more books along the same lines. Jackson, you mentioned that you had read this a couple times or had, had revisited it. Has your opinion of it changed or have you found anything new in your revisiting of the book? Um, honestly, I, I, um, wanted to, to pick it for this podcast because truthfully I, I had read it the one time, the first time, and it's so much information that I was like, really, I just need to, to read it again, just to kind of get a better understanding of, of what he's saying. And, um, I think that definitely helped, uh, like, I, I feel I have a better grasp on, the the large overarching concepts that he brings up in this book um and really i mean it it was just as fun to read the second time as the first um just it, a lot of the information felt brand new again because i had forgotten it among the you know hundreds of new like truth bombs he drops like every chapter or something like it's 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 wild so it was it was a fun read uh the second time around really just trying to get a better handle on on what he's saying yeah i definitely like i had started out being like all right i'm gonna like sticky note tab like every time there's something that's like really well laid out or like a main point and i mean like our viewers can't <laughs> oh my see this, but i literally <laughs> went through an entire pack of the little like sticky note tabs and went through like a two of them so that was completely unhelpful in revisiting it. But <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of information in there. I was doing the same thing where I was like, oh, I'm going to put a tab every time something's interesting. And then I was like, oh, God, I am quickly like, <laughs> yeah. running out. Or like I had to be more selective of what I deemed interesting. <laughs> Speaking of the the interesting topics and the big ideas that he discusses, this might be a good time to transition into our more spoilery part of the discussion does everyone have any like lasting statements that they'd like to leave with our audience who haven't read the book yet read it read it (laughs) (laughs) i agree (laughs) amazing before our guests who have not read the book or do not want to hear details about the book before reading it uh we wanted to leave them with some some fun stuff for the the next month uh so we wanted to talk really quickly about what we're currently reading or what you might read next um to give our viewers even more stuff to dig into um so when i when i revisited this book um I was like, I gotta, I gotta read the other books he's written. So I'm currently reading uh, *Homo Deus*, which is his second book, which um, explores like theoretic, theoretical um, futures for humanity, and kind of um, theorizes on where humanity will go the next 500, 1,000, 10,000 years, stuff like that. It's just as much of a, a crazy ride um but it's it's much more theoretical and it uses the history as a guide but also 
um, just we we have no clue what's in store. So it's it's um, very fun. Uh, a little less, I'd say, like scientific and historical um, in its analysis, but but just as as personal and and fun as as Sapiens is. So yeah. What about you, Cleary? What are you reading? I'll make a stark turn. Um, <laughs> so I'm currently also, I was reading it alongside when I was reading this, but I'm still reading it now. I'm reading The Viscount Who Loved Me, the second Bridgerton <laughs> novel, because I want to read it before season two of Bridgerton comes out. Uh, yeah, it's an enemies to lovers Regency romance. <laughs> what about you, Hugh? Um, I am reading Jane Eyre currently by Charlotte Bronte. I, for some reason, have not picked up any Bronte sisters or Jane Austen novels ever. And I got to a point where I was like, it's at this point silly of me not to because it fits what I like in books and in culture and literature in general so well. So I am reading Jane Eyre and I love it so far. I'm a big fan of Jane Eyre. Nice. All right, and then the next thing we just wanted to briefly ask before we jump into spoilers is what is a book that is similar or like has similar vibes to Sapiens that you would recommend to people who might want to further read books like this? I have one. I'll go first. (laughs) I recommended it in our first episode, but I will recommend it again. The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. It's a collection of essays that basically breaks down everyday things and John Green rates them on a five-star scale. And I kid you not, during reading Sapiens, all I could think about was this John Green book because it has such similar vibes. It really focuses on what it means to be human and like it has a deep connection to history. He basically like talks about the history of everyday items and it, it just has very similar vibes. And I highly recommend that book anyway. So I would I would suggest reading that if these were these were interesting to you. What about you, Jackson? Um, so uh, there's a, a fiction book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, um, and it's it's similar in kind of the philosophy of human evolution. Um, it's about a, a man who meets a a very wise talking gorilla um, at a circus, and he keeps coming back to conversations with this gorilla. Um, that focus on humanity and philosophy. And um, a- again, that another book that even when I'm not reading it, I'm thinking about it all the time um, and deals with a lot of similar um, topic issues and, and everything. So uh, definitely, definitely sim- similar vibe, um, but it's fiction and just as wonderful. Yeah. I think I along a similar vein would recommend The Alchemist. I feel like it has a similar, it's fiction and definitely more on the like philosophical side than Sapiens, but also has a similar exploration of like, what is our purpose? um, What like exploring the ways in which we live our lives and why we live our lives that way and in finding fulfillment and all of that, um, which is sort of, discussed in parts of sapiens um obviously more on the the factual side but yeah i would say if you're looking for further exploration as to um the purpose of life and finding meaning and fulfillment then um the alchemist would be a good one 
I also thought of another one, so I'll make this quick. Um, if you're not into dense books or like if you're just looking for a quick one, there's a graphic novel called Everyone's an Alien When You're an Alien Too. It's about like 70 pages of mostly pictures. And it's about an alien who gets sent to Earth to figure out why humans are the way they are and very similar vibes. And it's one of the best books I've ever read. It emotionally broke me. <laughs> if you want to be emotionally scarred for life, <laughs> pick up this book. <laughs> awesome. Should we jump into our little spoiler section now? Let's dive. Let's dive in. So for anybody who hasn't read the book or um, doesn't really want to hear details about the book, you can exit the episode now and we will see you in March. But if you have read the book or you're interested in hearing a little bit more about the details and the nitty gritty of what happens in the book before you pick it up, join us for the ride because it's this book is a doozy. There's so much to discuss. I wish that we could do a discussion for every single chapter because, <laughs> wow, I have so many thoughts. Be here for hours. Yeah. I guess to start off, was there any, I mean, I know it's probably difficult to choose from because this book covers so much, but was there a particular chapter or a particular concept that really jumped out to you, Jackson? Yeah. So um, he, I, I mentioned it at the at the very beginning, but he kind of divides the book into three different parts, um, the cognitive revolution, the agricultural revolution, and the scientific revolution. And he goes in order um, of the timeline and really starting off with the cognitive revolution, that was the the part that just blew me away because there's there's so little that we really know about um, you know, human prehistory in the very early days. And we have uh, you know, like little tools and bone fragments and and a couple cave paintings. But other than that, it's all very much just um, guesswork. And the way that he explores it, not on an individual level, but as a collective species, um, what we would have been doing around that time, 70,000 years ago, et cetera, what life was like on the planet for humans. Um, it, it just immediately drew me in. And um, I, I just headfirst started just theorizing and um, loving every every second of what I was reading. And I think what stood out to me the most is um, with the cognitive revolution, he he kind of starts by saying that, um, you know, before 70,000 years ago or so, humans weren't really any different from any other animal on the planet, uh, whether it be chimpanzees or dolphins or anything that we didn't have a big impact on life on the planet. Um, and then all of a sudden, I mean, looking at today, we're, we might be the end of the planet, you know, it's, it's, it's a big jump. Um, and so the idea of like, what could have caused that? And with the cognitive revolution, he kind of explores the idea that the homo sapiens ability to work flexibly in large groups of numbers is something that no other animal can do. Other animals can work in large groups of numbers like ants or bees, um, but they don't work flexibly. They can't, it's like their, their society is almost like genetically um, aligned uh, and they can't really stray from that at all. And then other mammals and such can work flexibly, but not in 
you know, groups of more than 150 dolphins or chimpanzees or whatever. Um, and so the fact that we can do both is we don't have to wait for evolution to do something for us and we can kind of change our plans very quickly. Um, and that's kind of what he says developed imagination and imagination is what is kind of the, this springboard for everything that we've accomplished, which I, I mean, as a, a visual and performing artist, that's so cool to hear that like, that's, that's the thing that started this all is, is just our ability, our ability to create fictions, to to use our imagination. If you would have told me that the most, well, not the most interesting, but just like my favorite part was going to be the cognitive revolution, man, I would not have believed you, but it was. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. was like, I was like stunned by the information. And one of my favorite things about this book is like things that I had learned in history classes, like in public school that I had forgot or like that had stuck with me for years. And then him reminding me about them. And I was like, oh yes, like the, the 150 people thing. I remember learning that like, as a human, you can only have a hundred up to 150 close relations before like you start to lose some or like they start to not be as strong. And so when he acknowledged that and he was like, the second you get above, like roughly above 150, you need to establish a ruler and there needs to be like a caste system and stuff like that. I was like, yes, uh, like finally someone is justifying this thing that I've definitely been telling people for years and it's true. <laughs> I think like that idea of like the imagined realities also helping be a part of like what allows those systems to function that was the that was the moment where I had to like put the book down and like walk away for a second because I was like I feel like I was just given like a key to a secret part of the universe that's been unlocked and like I just sat there like thinking about the idea of like created fictions for the sake of cooperation for so long not only just the fact that like oh cool nothing is real literally nothing is real um which that alone like bloom i was like oh my god this is insane but also just like the implications of the fact that like this is something that has allowed us to survive the only way that we know how to survive but also has been something that's created so many horrible things because these imagined realities a lot of times come with biases or discriminatory practices or oppression. So not only just the idea of like, how amazing is it that like, we've like the government and nationality and state lines, like those are all imagined realities, which alone is so much information to, to think about and knowledge to pursue and, and questions to come up, but also like um, the implications of, imagined realities turning dangerous and uh not being beneficial as well was something that was really interesting for me to think about and i think it's like like within like the first 20 pages that he's like nothing's real like like <laughs> government is is imagined religion is ima like it's it's just crazy how quickly he dives into breaking down like money isn't real like none nothing that we know and do on a, our, a daily basis um is is like biologically um secure it's it's all in our collective imaginations and all just in our heads which is just mind-boggling truly but i think there's something special about that though because i remember growing up you learned that like religion was essentially people trying to understand why things happened especially with like 
um, polytheism, it's like, why do we have seasons? Oh, because the gods did this. Or like, it, it was just reasons to explain things that didn't make sense to them. And so I, I love, I think it's great that like humans had such big brains <laughs> that they were able to like create reasons why the earth worked, even though that isn't why it happened, but it was a way to make them feel more secure. Mm. And I, I liked that even though, yeah, like religions in this sense are not real. <laughs> I think also like starting the book with that is sort of like, I guess like coming from a theater background, it felt like the contract to the audience moment where it was like, this is how thing, this is what you can expect. And I like that he continued to return to the idea of physical biological reality versus created fictions and imagined dual reality um and that was sort of like okay now that we've gotten this like huge brain shattering part out of the way and you can kind of let it sink in then it becomes a jumping off point for the even more complex and complicated things that that happen or that he discusses later in the book which i found to be super helpful to have sort of like a we're just going to jump right in and then the rest of the book will be easier to digest. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's also cool how um, he, he states like multiple times that it's not on the individual level. It's just our ability to work collectively. Like on an individual level, none of us would, would stand a chance like on a deserted Island against like a chimpanzee or something like we would, we're so bad um individually at like surviving in the wilderness and it's only when we we come together that we can really like change things and and you know it, he talks about like if you follow the the spread of human of humans around the world you see like megafaunas like giant woolly mammoths and other just huge species dying out wherever humans go just because we were able to work uh so well together at taking down huge beasts for for food and whatnot um yeah just <laughs> truly crazy stuff something else that i hadn't like considered before about like what makes humans unique is like our language like obviously i understood like our language is unique from other animals but like the ways in which it's unique was something that I hadn't really consciously considered before. Like we can, the idea that we can talk about and discuss imagined realities. And that's something that no other species can do is kind of amazing. I think. Yeah. There's no, there's no monkey God that'll like, if, if you promise a monkey <laughs> 20 bananas in monkey heaven, they're not going to take you up on that. But I, I loved how he kind of used evolution to to describe like modern modern ailments. Like he talks about how our generation and like people living today have to deal with so many things that what weren't even a thing, you know, seventy thousand years ago, like depression and anxiety. And that comes from us having food that is more readily available and having shelter every night that's kind of that is dependable whereas like back back in the beginning you know you didn't know where your food was coming from you had to spend however many hours looking for food chewing food like whereas now it is so easy we have all these other things that that bother us that take up that space of like why are we on this earth what is my reason for being here when that's just yeah that's just imagined reality 
Yeah, and the idea that, like, progress doesn't necessarily indicate, like, happiness or, like, an increase in happiness or fulfillment on an individual or even on a collective level. Like, the idea that, yeah, we have all of these new things that, like, make life easier or supposed to make life easier or a bunch of different options for how we can live our life and what we can consume and what we can see and do. But because of that, we're unhappy and dissatisfied because we know that there's more potential that we haven't discovered yet. Whereas before we were like, well, this is life. I catch my food and I pick my mushrooms and my berries and play games and that's it. But now it's like, we're dissatisfied because we're like, well, I know that there's more that like I don't have and I want it. And that is really interesting that like the more we got, the more dissatisfied it seems we might have become. Yeah. Yeah. And just the fact that, um, you know, when you, there's so many more imagined like fictions that we rely on today that it's just impossible to, to stay kind of grounded in the reality that humans would have been in 70,000 years ago or so. And the, the imagined realities were more, um, you know, for, it was more of an escape. Like it was different art forms or something that they did to, uh, spend their evenings rather than like living in it all day, every day. And using, I, I feel like, I don't know, I don't know if there's a, a way to see, but just like how much more, brain function it takes and how much more energy it takes to to live the way that we live today as far as like living in a world with this kind of dual reality a question that came up for me is like at this point is it even possible to like live in a world that is just strictly reality like completely abandon the imagined fictions and like would it even be worth like would it even be a world worth living in because i mean that no art no religion no ties to anything like i don't know that was just i was i was like i can't even picture yeah. a world where it is just reality yeah i feel like it almost takes away the idea of humanity when you take away like all of those like there's got to be something you know um yeah rather than just being in the present moment like physical reality all at all times that would <laughs> well, it reminds me of the saying that's like, science saves your life while culture saves your soul. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because you you need the things that are going to keep you alive, like shelter, water, food. But it's the culture, it's the community that makes you want to keep living. And I think when it was harder to find shelter and water and food and stay alive and not be attacked, that was what you were living for. Whereas once that became more accessible and easier because you had more support or you had better tools, then you started to be like, well, what more could life be? And you just started making friends and making art and making, you know, special holidays and stuff like that because you wanted more, which is what, which is what Pew was talking about. It's like you become dissatisfied because when everything is so easy, you just accept more and more. Yeah, there was a, a lot, a, a big punch packed in the cognitive revolution for yeah. sure. <laughs> As you can tell. <laughs> How about thoughts on the um, the agricultural revolution part of the book? Honestly, that one was the one that I found the most confusing because like even from the get-go, he kind of says that it didn't really make sense because um, like the, the agricultural revolution was about 10,000 years ago. And before that, 
humans were living as hunter gatherers and they had a very, they had a varied diet. Um, they would get like a good mix of fruit and nuts and meat um, and, and grains too, probably. But once the, the agriculture, the agricultural revolution came around, we were pretty much just getting like wheat or, and, and cattle. Like it was, it was very staple foods that if you had a bad season, you would just starve. Like putting all of your eggs in one basket didn't make a lot of sense at the time. Um, and he talked about how, uh, it was more that wheat cultivated us rather than us sitting down and farming, which is just crazy. Like they would collect the wheat plants and bring them back to the base, um, or wherever they were. And just using the same trails years after years would grow wheat in those spots until eventually that was all that was there. And then people could settle down in one spot and have, enough wheat to feed everybody in their their tribe or their group um which like it's just again mind-boggling how how it happened and how history um shapes us and the the path we took when the farming domesticated humans (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) it was interesting too because he sort of talked about how like the the life was not even just the diet but like there was it was like a hotbed for breeding disease and like they were working harder and longer hours but by the time they realized they had trapped themselves they were like well we can't like abandon like it's too late to abandon this way of life and I feel like as we go throughout the book that's a trap that sapiens fall into a lot where we are like well we have to work towards this one thing because of this imagined reality that we've created and then once we realize that maybe that thing isn't the best thing for us we've created an inescapable trap for ourselves where we can't survive without that anymore even though maybe it wasn't the best decision biologically or genetically something in us was like gotta do it just yeah. just gotta keep going which i've definitely had that thought multiple like what why am i doing this but at this point i might as well and it's just sort of like that's something that we as humans collectively have been falling into over and over again is super interesting that's how i feel about like social media like i i yes. feel like it's way too late to, to like get out but all it does is like make me sad <laughs> <laughs> what about you cleary i i agree with what Josh was saying out like it was I was re-listening to it this morning while I was doing the dishes and it was just so funny even the audiobook narrator was funny of just saying like there was no reasonable reason for us to do this but yet it just became a thing and even now we haven't given it up and like it has definitely become more sustainable uh, like now and we probably won't give it up now but yeah it is funny to think like it messed with our diet they, they mentioned it messed with like our our like not genetics but like it altered the way kids grew up or like they had diet deficiencies and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then he was mentioning how you would farm so you'd have more stable food so then you'd have more kids but having more kids made you need more food so you weren't making money off the food so it was like you're getting stuck no matter what you do like which is very similar to how it is now but more so with money than like farms and mm-hmm. and hunter gatherers were like the most skilled i think he says in there like they're it's the the most skilled and competent humans have ever been because they had so much knowledge of um how to hunt and gather and their surrounding area and moving into like permanent settlements 
during the agricultural revolution, we just kind of lost so much of that knowledge of like the surrounding landscape. And you just kind of move into defending the, the one spot that you do have. Um, and it makes things like natural disasters way more difficult because when you have stake in the game, you don't want to like up and leave at any point. Um, even when that might be the the best thing to do. Yeah. It really, we, we trapped ourselves or wheat trapped us. And it also like altered diversity because the less you're moving, the less people you interact with, yeah. which makes me think of like how nowadays children don't get taught nearly enough geography. And then by the time they're like college age, they don't understand, especially for like Eurocentric and American students, they don't understand where countries are even in like Europe or Asia, or they just have no idea. And so they, every, every culture kind of becomes like a mono because they all get grouped together. And they don't travel. And so I think, yeah. 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 The idea that like the concept of home like you, you could have your house, but then like the concept of home was something that literally just didn't exist until the agricultural revolution, which was one of those things where I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense, but I never would have even like considered or thought about that. Um, and also um, the concept of like time was something that was really just kind of killing me with this book. I was like, man, time really is not real at all. And the idea that like, we didn't really live by like sun up and sundown or seasons until the agricultural revolution. It just like completely fundamentally changed so many things that are just like normal day-to-day life for us now that literally didn't even exist as a concept in our minds until this revolution, which is fascinating to me. Um, yeah. And, uh, another thing I wanted to, to mention was just the idea that like the, the biggest good thing about the agricultural revolution is that's when other people were, um, able to kind of specialize in different areas when everyone was hunting and gathering, they all kind of would do the same thing. But then once you have like one guy who's farming all the wheat, everyone else can spend time like I don't know, making shoes or something like you get so much more um, like new ways of life and new new things done, um, which is is super cool. They mentioned it. It might have been in the beginning, but that just reminded me of like they didn't understand that when a woman got pregnant, it was from one man. So they were like, okay, let's have just all the men (laughs) be like and we'll make a super child. And like they didn't know that that was wrong. And so. But I love that by doing that, the child didn't have one father. They kind of were brought up by the village and they were mentioning like they'd be brought up by the best hunter, the best cook, the best storyteller, the best lover. (laughs) And I was just like, that's, it's funny how you were raised by the community instead of just one man, because they all thought they had a part in creating that person. Yeah. And I mean, like the, the community bond that that creates is just crazy and and you get such a a well-rounded person um yeah i i that's such a cool concept i i kind of wish that that we still lived like that but alas that is interesting is a lot of i feel like the ways that we used to live are now like looked down upon like polytheism polyamory stuff like that that were just like too old like older sapiens like that's what made the most sense is now like 
like scorned and just like people are like why would you be in a relationship with more than one person why would you worship worship more than one god but like that was the way that our ancestors used to live because that's what made the most sense to them there were a a few other examples of that that i can't think of right now but i felt like that kept popping up where things that were normal all of a sudden were like frowned upon in modern society they mention how like monogamous relationships and nuclear families somewhat lead to like unhappiness and i just think that's really interesting because it is so ingrained now to like in most people to want to seek out a monogamous relationship and have that nuclear family but like that that is entirely made up and like it's just something that we've heard about and we've been taught that now we are expected to do that I feel like everyone's like, yeah, that is something I'm going to go ahead and do and like never even think of any other, any other choices because that is essentially the only choice humans have given each other now. Yeah. And I mean, like our societies don't really allow for, like, if you look at houses, they're built for like small relationships, small households rather than like large communities. Um, And of course there's, you know, uh, like a ton of exceptions but um yeah it's it's interesting how that just kind of happened as as um evolution continued and speaking of sort of like the the ways in which we sort of i guess trapped ourselves again in a certain way of thinking i feel like that's a huge theme when he discusses the industrial revolution when it comes to what he deems the religions of capitalism imperialism nationalism all of that stuff like he even says like yeah capitalism can suck sometimes but like if we tried to live in a world without it everything that we know would completely collapse which i was like wow damn. yeah <laughs> that's I insane it. i hate capitalism so much but i hate yeah I, I agree because if you even if like everyone in the world was like yes we don't like it let's get rid of it we would be so lost and nothing mm-hmm that makes sense to us now would make sense to us then. Like you'd have to totally rewrite everything. And then if you did that, I feel like you'd get to a place where you still wouldn't be happy. So like, there's no winning. Well, cause even like the way that we live our lives outside of like what we consciously clock as being part of the economy and being part of work. Like he mentioned the way that we track time is by like a timetable, like you wake up at a certain time so you can go to work at a certain time, you get out of work at a certain time, so you do your hobbies at a certain time, and then you're in bed by a certain time, and all of it revolves around getting to work or being a contributing member of the society and the economy. So like even thinking, not even thinking about like how we run our economy and and money and government and all that, but like if without capitalism, like the way in which we organize our lives would also completely change and just how intertwined everything is was something that I really enjoyed reading about it was frustrating but also really fascinating um in that third part of the book yeah I um I I thought it was cool how when he brought up the the scientific revolution it kind of um he said that somebody who was born in the year 1000, if they were somehow to magically um, time travel to the year um, 1500, um, they like, it wouldn't be too different. 
they there would be obviously some differences, but they would probably be able to kind of understand what was going on and how to continue in life. But the fact that somebody who was born in the 1500s, if they time traveled to today, they they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to cope at all. Like they they'd have no clue what was going on. And just the fact that um I don't know, progress has just skyrocketed since then and we're we're shifting so quickly. Um even like today, I mean I feel like just the way that that um, the internet works with like news cycles and memes and everything like that, like you can be like a week behind of the the newest thing and then not have any clue what anyone's talking about. Like the the fact that you have to remain up to date constantly on um, everything is is it's so crazy how quickly our our minds are starting to and our technology is starting to progress um since the the beginning of the scientific revolution and then the industrial revolution it's it's nuts what's crazy is like all of pop culture will usually revolve around whatever is happening in the moment so yeah if you like are out of service for a week for whatever reason you come back you have essentially missed so much and it is what everyone is talking about and everyone is making content about and you have to just catch up because it is, it's just what the world is focused on at that moment, and even which like, would be insane yeah. to think about. And and even like ten years ago, like if you were gone for a week, may you could probably still be fine, like coming back. But especially since like smartphones and everything like that, like it's it's crazy how quickly everything moves now, and I it's only going to get faster. I'm sure. Our, also like our concepts of like reality and humanity and like what's possible are so fundamentally different from what they were that like he was like you know like you couldn't even hold like they would have no idea what you were talking about you couldn't hold a conversation because your ideas of what the world is and what humans are alone like those are insane let alone like meme culture and all of that um it's just so drastically different and happens so quickly comparative to or comparatively to how slow things started. Like, you know, 100 years, 200 years seems like a long time to us. But if you look at it from a larger perspective, like it's so like rapid and quick and like Jackson said, just getting faster and faster and sort of, as he mentions at the end, getting to a point where it's almost spiraling out of control and we're kind of leading ourselves into sapiens being eclipsed by something else entirely. I I also thought that that with the the scientific revolution it was interesting how he said that that was kind of the what kickstarted that is the idea that humans started accepting that they could be wrong that that we don't know everything um where that was kind of where different religions took the place before that um if you didn't know something you could just say oh that's uh the power of the gods or something like that but with the scientific revolution we're like no actually we don't know how that works but we want to know how that works and then finding that out um through like the scientific method and everything and ignorance has been like the the greatest thing that could have happened to us um, and just being able to to admit that has changed the world so much. I told Jackson this, but uh, 
I think it's hilarious to think that a person who doesn't believe in evolution would read this book and think it was a wonderful work of fiction. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely ironic. <laughs> and it is a, a work of fiction, according to Harari. Everything's a fiction, <laughs> apparently. It's all imagined. Yeah, That's true. That's true. Yeah, I think that was the probably one of my favorite parts of the book was this discussion of like the ability to admit ignorance and how that applies to the ways that we live our lives day to day, not just to scientists, but to everything. I thought that that was one of the most hopeful parts of the book as far as, you know, like the inherent nature of humanity to me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely feels we're progressing with somewhat of a balance um, for every good thing that comes, something bad happens, but then another good thing it's it's a constant cycle that's good that's a good note <laughs> life is life is hopeful and happiness can be attained oh it's all bread and sauce you know you got the bread in your life and then you got the sauce and we'll leave it at that <laughs> thanks so much to our special guest jackson chambert for coming on and talking about this book with us and thanks for picking the book and making us read it yeah yeah, thank you so much for for having me. I I this is a wonderful opportunity and I'm glad that both of you enjoyed the book so much as much as I did and that we had time to to really discuss it. It's the first time I've gotten to talk about it with anybody else who's read it. So I'm I'm very happy. Um and I'd love to to come back again sometime after I've read a new book. <laughs> You'll get us to read all three of them. <laughs> I'll do I'll do I'll do a fiction or something. Well, that is it for our episode for this month. Thank you all so much for listening. Our next episode will be out Friday, March 25th. So make sure to subscribe to our podcast here on Spotify so you can be notified when that episode premieres. In the meantime, you can check us out on our social media pages where we'll be announcing our guests and the books that they've chosen each month so you have the opportunity to read along with us. If you don't want to read along with us, don't worry. The first half of each episode will be spoiler-free, just like this episode, so that everyone can enjoy. By following our socials, you can also stay updated on when we post, get sneak peeks of our episodes, and receive some more bonus content. You can find us at Erin Squared Pod on Facebook and Instagram. That's at E-R-I-N-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D-P-O-D on Facebook and Instagram. And with that, we will see you all in March. Be there or, or be, be there. Square. 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 <laughs>